Hi, Tony Hines here, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Great to be here. This is the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. New vehicle demand in the United States is heading up, higher than expectations. General Motors and Ford have both exceeded sales forecasts. And this is quite a shift from earlier in the year when many economists and many in the auto sector were bracing themselves for a U.S. recession. But that doesn't seem to be the case, because vehicle sales have stabilized and vehicle production has recovered to pre-pandemic levels, as supply chain bottlenecks have eased. Ford shares rose on the news by 1.1%, and General Motors shares also went up by 1.5%. Ford still sees growth in combustion engines for the next few years, while it continues to ramp up production and investment in EVs. And it's cutting costs too, trying to cut costs in manufacturing and engineering by 50% on the second generation of EVs. You'll have heard me talk about EVs in the past few weeks, and of course until they get those costs down, they won't be able to reduce the prices like they'd need to to attract the numbers in volume that they need to buy the vehicles. Only when the scale of operation is changed, increases, with volumes going up, costs falling, and prices being more affordable, will it have impact. GM and Ford, of course, are going to have access to 12,000 Tesla superchargers by 2024, and that will be a game-changer for both of those companies, having the infrastructure to support the vehicles is of paramount concern to consumers. The Longshore Union and employers of 22,000 dock workers at West Coast Ports said they've reached a tentative agreement on a deal. It's a six-year contract and this brings to an end 13 months of talks and supply chain woes. Acting US Labor Secretary Julie Su dispatched by President Joe Biden to sort out the dispute, seems to have done the job. She said she used her deep experience and judgment to keep the parties talking until they reached agreement, after a long and sometimes acrimonious negotiation. It's subject to ratification by both parties. The the ILWU and the PMA declined to provide details on the deal. It should bring stability for the workers, for employers and for the country's supply chain said Sue. Long Beach and Los Angeles, of course, are two of America's biggest seaports, and to have them out of action is a serious problem. It comes when Walmart and Target, some of the biggest retailers, are starting to land merchandise for critical back-to-school periods, and for Halloween and Christmas. Yeah, we're talking about Christmas. It's summer, isn't it? (laughs) There we go. Manufacturers, automakers, and food producers all import or export goods and they rely on those Pacific Coast ports. Well, with all those concerns about artificial intelligence, it was interesting to read this week that Google warned its own staff about entering any confidential material into chatbots. And so if if Google can't control the chatbots, well, what chance have the rest of us got? So no confidential material into the chatbot, because they can't be trusted. Hmm... There's a growing number of businesses around the world, apparently, that have set up guardrails on the AI chatbots 
and they include Samsung, Amazon, Deutsche Bank, and there are others too, so some of the world's biggest companies. About 43% of professionals are using ChatGPT, or other AI tools, and that was back in January, so it'll be much more now, I should think. And they often use it without telling their bosses. In a survey to nearly 12,000 respondents in top US-based companies conducted by Fishbowl back in February, Google told staff testing BARD before its launch not to give it internal information. And now Google is rolling out BARD to more than 180 countries in 40 languages, despite the warnings about its code. Of course, they're having discussions with people at the island Data Protection Commission because they operate under EU GDPR. So privacy issues are going to be a big concern by the looks of things. Problem with this technology is the innovative staff member with lots of work to do can ask ChatGPT to draft emails, produce documents and even write software and it speeds up the tasks. It makes it all very efficient. But the problem is, well, you can see where this is headed. It causes vulnerabilities because the data's not secure, so you can't really put sensitive data in. And sometimes they turn up things, it says, according to Reuters, like uh, copyrighted passages from Harry Potter novels. Well, okay. So the privacy notice, which was updated on the 1st of June to staff by Google, says don't include confidential or sensitive information in your barred conversations. Both Google and Microsoft are offering conversational tools right now to business customers. And of course, they're going to be charging for these services later on. But I think we've got a long way to go. They've got a lot of learning to do, and they've got to make sure that these protections are in place. Now, it's time to put a plug in here for my special edition on artificial intelligence. And if you haven't heard it yet, drop by the website, pick it up and have a listen. I'm sure you'll be interested. Well, inflation is still in the news. It's still top of the agenda for many countries to control inflation. And the United States seems to have pretty good control of inflation at present. They seem to have taken the actions at the right time, and they've lowered the inflation, which now stands around 4%. In the United Kingdom, inflation is still on the rise. And the Bank of England is meeting next week, the Monetary Policy Committee, to decide interest rates. That will happen on June the 22nd. And the predictions at the moment are that it will raise the interest rate by at least a quarter of a percent from 4.5 to 4.75. Although some predictions earlier in the week said it could go as high as 5%. It will certainly reach 5% in the next couple of months. That's the expectation. Perhaps even next month if it's not this month. And of course everybody's worried about the impact on the cost of living as mortgage interest payments will increase for many people. Many households will have extra mortgage payments. They might be on fixed rate deals at present, which is keeping the payments low, but it's expected to rise. And as a consequence of that, the expectation is that the housing market in the UK will come under pressure and house prices are predicted to fall during the year. Many commentators believe that the Bank of England will continue to raise interest rates and it may go as high as 6%. The European Central Bank raised interest rates this week by a quarter of a percentage point. The Governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, said to Parliamentary Committee this week that inflation was taking a lot longer than expected and that the labour market was very tight. Of course, there are pressures from the labour market because lots of people in different sectors are on strike for more pay. 
And that's because of the cost of living. It's, it's like a never-ending circle. As inflation rises, people realise they haven't got enough money to buy the things that they want. So they want a pay rise, naturally. And the pay rise itself is inflationary. And of course, because wage levels in many professions and many industries have been held quite tightly for the past few years, people want some readjustment to their income. So the prospects for people having wage increases is inflationary in itself. Basic pay in the three months to April rose by an annual rate of 7.2%, and that's the fastest on record. And if some of the settlements and claims that are being made currently go through, then some of those pay rises are as high as 10 to 15%. And of course, junior doctors in the United Kingdom are requesting 35%. It seems an incredible amount of pay claim. The government's resistant to this, of course. Consumer price inflation in the United Kingdom fell less than forecast in April and remains at 8.7%. It's a very challenging situation. So we'll have to wait and see what happens when the Monetary Policy Committee meets on the 22nd of June. No doubt we'll report the outcome of that next week. The US Central Bank has passed a series of interest rate hikes this year and the target for its benchmark rate is set at 5 to 5.25%. The Federal Reserve has raised interest rates 10 times since March 2022 as it's tried to control inflation. Forecasts show most officials expect rates to rise further. The European Central Bank, as I mentioned, raised the key interest rate by 25 basic points in line with market expectations. That's for 20 countries in the Eurozone. It's increased its benchmark rate to 3.5%. Europe is expected to raise interest rates again, as is the Bank of England, which we've mentioned, next week. The US is now opting not to raise interest rates for the first time in a year, and it may be that it will actually lower rates in the coming months. UK inflation is suffering because food and energy inflation has not decreased. If anything, it's on the rise. The UK inflation rate is at 8.7%, and the US is under half of that at 4%. The UN Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, said this week that countries must start phasing out oil, coal and gas, not just emissions. He wants the fossil fuel companies to cease and desist. The problem is not simply fossil fuel emission, it's fossil fuels itself. That's what Guterres told reporters, and the solution is clear. We have to move to clean energy, leaving oil, coal and gas in the ground. The United Arab Emirates is set to hold COP28 later this year, and Guterres wants the focus to be on phasing out fossil fuels. The COP28 meeting will start on November the 30th, and the agenda has not yet been agreed. But in a related story, of course, this week, Shell has said that they're not going to continue with their policy to phase out fossil fuel production by 1-2% per annum until 2030. They've put that one on ice, and so there'll be some backlash for that. Shell claims it's already largely reached its goal for production cuts, mainly through selling oil assets. They've sold a lot of their assets off to actually get to that target. What they've mainly sold are US shale businesses. So is the world cooling off with regard to climate change goals? That's the question. Obviously, the inflationary pressures will be having some impact, and the pressure on energy markets since the invasion of Ukraine has perhaps changed 
some of the priorities. But whichever way it goes, it's likely to be temporary. But whether we've got time to delay when it comes to stopping those carbon emissions is questionable according to the science. Britain's biggest retailer, Tesco, said this week on Friday that we're encouraging early signs that inflation was starting to ease across the market as it reported a 9% rise in underlying UK sales in the last quarter. Ken Murphy, the chief executive officer, told reporters, we do believe that we're past the peak. Inflation, of course, is the major political issue at present, and it's pushing up taxes and mortgage rates, and basically the cost of living for everybody. Food inflation has been the big problem. It's been running at about 19% in April, but grocery inflation has lowered to 17.2% in May, according to industry data. Murphy warned that though some commodity prices were actually coming down, higher labour costs are feeding into inflation and are likely to stick. Tesco have 27% of the market share in Britain's grocery market. It made £2.49 billion, that's about $3.18 billion US dollars in 22-23. And they're benefiting from consumers looking to save money. Recent prices for some items have seen the biggest rises in milk, butter, bread, pasta and vegetable oil. Shares in the company rose by 17% in 2023. A related story to this that emerged this week was that Tesco's come under pressure for not being clear about pricing in its stores and it's very difficult for consumers to compare prices. This is because Tesco have two prices on many of the products in the store. They have the club card price which is for people that have the loyalty card that Tesco have and that's usually lower on particular goods and they have the price for everybody else that doesn't hold the loyalty card which is a little bit higher. But I don't think they're the only supermarket that's not clear about pricing when it comes to putting prices on shelves. If you go into lots of supermarkets and you look at the prices, it's very difficult to make comparisons across a range of goods. And they put different information on some of the price tickets on the shelves, which makes it difficult to make a comparison. So you can't work out what the grand price is or the particular best buy from just looking at the price ticket. And that should be transparent. There should be a standard format for that. It's very easy to put right. It's not an issue. But of course, they may not want you to make that comparison because it means they can't sell some of the other products which are packaged differently. Now, there was a story that caught my eye this week and it was about Walmart in the United States and how they're trying to change their image a little bit. It's always a bit worrying when a company tries to change its image, isn't it? When they've got a successful formula and they seem to work well, and then suddenly they want to rebrand or or try something a little different. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's uh, always the motto, isn't it, when it comes to retail or anything like that. But um, this story was interesting because Walmart is obviously well known for providing good value to consumers for everything from potato chips through to milk. But it's now trying to sell or upsell other products. So furniture and, of course, fashion items. And it's always sold clothing products at good prices. Denise Candela is vice president of apparel and private brands. And she disclosed to a number of investors recently that Walmart has always sold its old brand of clothing. Basic George T-shirts, the Asda brand, shorts and pants, which are typically 
around the $15 mark or less. But in Candela is a former Sachs and Ralph Lauren executive, and she said that research had shown that 80% of its customers were purchasing higher-priced clothes elsewhere, and she wants a piece of that action. So she's got a strategy which she calls democratizing fashion. She wants to convert the company's core price-conscious shoppers into being a style-conscious shopper with Walmart. Now, apparel is always a tricky market, isn't it, for even the specialist apparel companies. And those general retailers that try to move into apparel have got a big job on their hands, especially if they're known for discounting. You don't necessarily buy your high-branded fashion items from your supermarket. You buy clothing. You don't buy fashion. But Incandela wants to change it. Walmart has about 4.6% of the US apparel market, which is worth 560.4 billion US dollars. And they're followed by TJX, Target and Ross at 4.4, 4.1 and 2.8% respectively, according to global data. Walmart is renovating 700 stores as part of a record 17 billion capital investment program. And by the year end, they want to place new clothing and home decor in smarter displays in those revamped facilities. As a reminder from the recent past, of course, when Walmart tried to branch out into fashion in 2017, challenging online retailer Amazon by acquiring upmarket brands Bonobos, Modcloth and Moose Jaw, which it sold a few years later for very low prices in some cases. So that lesson from 2017 should be still in the recent memory and perhaps caution needs to be noted. Other retailers have also found this market difficult. J.C. Penny is another store that found it difficult to branch into fashion items. And of course, it alienated some of the customers and it forced it into bankruptcy in 2020. The company has emerged from that bankruptcy, but it's much smaller and quite badly damaged by the experience. So, an interesting one to watch. Can Walmart make the cut? Well, Incandela thinks so. There was an interesting piece of news that emerged on Saturday, which was about insolvencies. And it said that uh, insolvencies in the past year in the United Kingdom had increased by 40%. And this is mainly due to increases in interest rates, as businesses have struggled to pay debts. And of course, access to capital is now much more expensive. And that's going to hold back progress and growth, but it's also going to take more companies down as those interest rates rise. So yes, we might be tackling inflation, but we might be doing irreparable damage to the heart of the economy. Well, I just want to remind you about some of the episodes that you may have missed. And if you've missed any of our episodes, you can just drop by the Chain Reaction website, or better still, subscribe next time you're there, so that you get notified as soon as an episode drops, you'll be first to know. And you can do that, you can sign up and subscribe on your favourite platforms too. So if you get your podcast from Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you get those podcasts from, hit the subscribe button and it will just drop as soon as there's a fresh episode and you can take a listen. So don't forget, we've had episodes on artificial intelligence, we've got an episode coming up on product recalls in the automotive industry, and we have episodes on benchmarking, how to be a better supply chain manager, all kinds of things. So come along, drop by, and I'll see you in the podcast. Changing reaction. 
Hey Tony, you forgot to tell them about the great episode with Mario Paganini talking about store. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and what about the future of work, which is out next week? Yeah. Oh, and ethical supply chains. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, and that one on last mile deliveries. Yeah. Oh, and what about the China episode? Yeah, yeah, well, I can't tell them everything, Jenny. They've got to go along to the website and check for themselves. But thanks for the reminders. Now, I've got to press on. Okay, Tony, just saying. Okay, Jenny, thanks. Doesn't Felix want feeding now? Well, I think you get the picture. You probably got more of the picture from Jenny than me. But do drop by and have a listen. Well, we couldn't let this week's episode come to a conclusion without mentioning Boris Johnson, the ex-Prime Minister in the United Kingdom. And all the newspapers and the news programmes this week have had headlines about he lied and lied and lied and so on. And the inquiry concluded that Boris Johnson deliberately and repeatedly misled Parliament which means he would have been suspended for 90 days had he not resigned. And when you are suspended by Parliament for 90 days, that puts pressure on your constituency to call a by-election for your seat because you can't do the job. Some of the comments in newspapers said that the ex-Prime Minister staged an attack on our democratic institutions and some of his evidence was so disingenuous it showed deliberate attempts to mislead. And that's from the findings of the Independent Privileges Committee, which had a Conservative majority. It was unanimous in its verdict, and you recall that it was the Prime Minister at the time, Boris Johnson, who called the inquiry. But he now says that he didn't tell lies, and he calls the report deranged. He's trying to undermine the process. He misled everybody with his lies, of course, over Brexit. The former Governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, has blamed the stubbornly high inflation in Britain on Brexit, claiming he'd warned the public that leaving the European Union would damage the economy. And that's in Saturday's Telegraph. So that's something else we can thank the ex-Prime Minister for. But everyone thinks that this is the end of Boris Johnson's political career. Of course, he'll have to crawl off now and earn a living elsewhere, which no doubt he will because he's been paid about £5 million on a talk circuit. So I don't think he's going to be out of work. And just a few minutes ago, I received a text that tells me that Boris Johnson has got a new job as a columnist, a writer for the Daily Mail. What a surprise. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains, and we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon, all things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.